Today is Father's Day. I do not have any handouts for you today, but later on in the service I am going to refer back to our lesson from last week and try to finish that lesson up for us. But I want to talk to you a little bit about my own father because I've been thinking about him this week. And uh, he's, uh, he died at the age of, I think, uh, two months being 88 years old. And uh, I think about him once in a while, things that he's passed along to us and things that I remember and so forth. Uh, when we were for my sisters, my brother and sister, my sister, my older sister, who was young. I'm the oldest of four children and the one that was the closest to me next to me. And her and I were very small. I remember my dad coming in from work. And I found out why he did this when I was grown and had my children. But he would get down and play with us on the floor, and he'd just stretch out and lay down. Well, to be honest with you, he was tired, tired from working, but he'd want to play with us. So he'd lay down and play on the floor. He'd be a bear sometime. We'd climb all over his back and ride him and all that kind of stuff. But he was also resting, and he'd pretend he was asleep and everything, and then we would pretend we'd tickle his nose and stuff like that, and he'd come awake real quiet. You know, just father play like that. I remember so many but I remember a very interesting time in life. I was, uh, I was six years old, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were washing the car out in front of our house. And something was to happen at that time that was to change our lives forever. I remember the radio was playing and uh, music on the radio, and we had gotten through washing the car, and now we were wiping it down. He was touching up here and there and shining it, and the radio was running. And suddenly the music stopped, and somebody's voice came on the radio, and somebody began to talk. And I never will forget the expression on my father's face. It changed suddenly. He looked at that radio, and that person talked for a little bit. And then he said to me, son, let's get through here. we got to go inside. I didn't, know, I didn't know what had happened. Something had changed in him. He, was, he went from being just a happy father washing the car with his son to being all of a sudden very concerned. And what he had just heard it was December 7th, December 7th, 1941. And he had just heard that Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor. And that's what was coming over that radio. And it was to change our lives forever. We were to be different went to work in the shipyards, and uh, from there on, it was like those shipyards. We were living in Pensacola, and from some time, we'd live in Mobile, Alabama, where the shipyard. Every time he would move, he'd always be promoted, and uh, he would take the promotion, and he'd move with it and so forth, and shipyards running 24 hours a day. They cranked out those Liberty ships one a day, one a day. America was producing those freighter ships during World War II. And uh, he was involved in the middle of all of that stuff. And I remember when I was uh, eight years old, that one summer, I, the summer I turned eight years old, I got bored. I told mom, I said, my mother, I said, I'm, Mom, I'm just bored. I'm bored at this point. She says, come on, I'll tell you what we'll do. She went down and bought some bunch of peanuts, raw peanuts, brought them home, parched them in, that, in the oven, put them in a little bag, bagged them all up, put them in a little red wagon that was my younger sister's wagon. And she pulled me, with, went with me, pulled me 
we went down to the shipyard, which was only blocks, too many, just a few blocks away. And I went to the gate. And she says, now you stay here and you sell these peanuts for a dime a bag. When your dad comes out, you come home with him. I said, all right. I said, there and man, people came out and they bought those peanuts. They were coming out of the, out of the shipyard, just these workers getting off from work, whatever time it was for that shift. And my dad was always about the one, the last ones out on that for that shift. And I waited and waited finally. Sold all my peanuts. He came out, and I'll never forget how happy I was to see him when he'd come out. And after a while, after I did that for a few weeks, it was like they said, this is Jack's boy, my dad's first name. And Jack's boy. So everybody would buy peanuts from Jack's boy, you know, and everything. And I'd sell him peanuts there, waiting for my dad to come out. And I'll never forget how happy I was to see him always walk through those gates. And then we walked together back to the house. And things like this that you just never forget, you know. Uh, when I was 10 years old, the war was over. My dad changed occupation. He went to Miami with my uncle and found out that construction work was booming down in Miami. Construction was booming. My uh, uncle's trade was plastering, so he taught my dad the trade. And they got jobs down there. They went back then and said, told, told the family, we're going to all move to Miami. All moved to Miami. Where is Miami? Well, it's, it's, it's way down on the tip end of, of uh, Florida. My grandfather, Meyer, said to my dad, be careful because that tip end of Florida, the tip end down of Florida may just break off in the ocean down there. You know? That's the way he looked at it. Just be careful about that part of the world down there, you know. But he said, no, Dad, they're building like crazy. They're building, you know, hotels and buildings and homes like crazy down there. At that time, Miami was one of the fastest-growing cities in America. And I'll never forget that we, we all packed up. And there are two families of us, cousins and, you know, my cousins and my uncle and everything. We all went to Miami. And uh, in the middle of the night, driving down the road, one of my little cousins got car sick and threw up on me. Threw up on me. And I was fit to be tired carried on and carried on and everything. And my mother finally said, told my dad, stop the car. Got out, cleaned me all up, cleaned me up and wiped me up. But then she said to me, you be quiet. We're in this together. We're trying to get to Miami. I don't want to hear no more out of you. Do you understand, young man? I said, yes, ma'am. I knew when she was like that, you don't cross her. You, know, you never cross her. I said, I got in a car, but I still fumed. I smelled like a sewer. You know, I was sitting there and I was just and went on. Everybody went to sleep. I was wide awake sitting back there and everything. And long about, I don't know, about 5 o'clock in the morning, still dark, my dad said, he said, Ellis, I'm going to stop the car, and I want you to come up and sit next to me. I said, all right. And he stopped. Everybody moved around a little bit, but not too much. I came up and got he sat next to my dad. And then we started down the road again, and he said, I want you to see the sights that we to see. You've never seen this sight before. And we were leaving Lake Okeechobee on the Okeechobee Road, Lake uh, Okeechobee Road to my, into, down to Miami, Highway 27. It was a lone highway. There was no cars on the road, just our car humming down the road by itself in the middle of the morning, just driving all night. And as daybreak came, folks, 
I saw birds like I've never seen birds in my life. We were in the Everglades now, driving through the Everglades. And it would be like great cloud, like a great cloud of birds get up and fly because our car was coming down the road. And the noise of it and the difference of it caused them to up and lift and fly and then fly away. And it was a constant barrage of these huge white birds that just kept looking like clouds. And then they would settle back down behind us and everything. And my dad loved animals. He loved nature. He just loved everything about animals. He had a way with animals. One time when I was a kid, he was standing by a chicken coop. This is the truth. He was standing by a chicken coop. He was looking at those chickens. And I walked up and I said, what are you looking at, Dad? He said, watch me. I'm going to put every chicken in that chicken yard in the chicken house without going through the gate. I said, really? He sat there and stood there and started making a sound in his throat, in his throat, making a sound. Brrr, I don't know, some kind of funny sound he made. And them chickens all began to look around, and they all started heading for the hen house, and he did. He put every chicken in that chicken yard in the hen house. I said, Dad, what was that that you were doing? He was, I was making a sound that a chicken makes when they see a chicken hawk, and they warned the other chickens to get in the hen house. That's what I was doing. And he knew that. He, he learned all that stuff. But he loved animals. And we went on down, but we were going through the Everglades. We saw, I saw deer. I saw raccoons. I saw possums. I saw uh, big old field rats. Uh, we saw alligators all along the canal on both sides. And I never will forget how fascinated I was with this nature thing. And my dad wanted to share that with me. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. When he passed away and I spoke at his funeral, I told him what a great experience that was for me. I forgot all about smelling like a sewer. I forgot all about, you know, me, me what had happened to me that night. But I just enjoyed a, a scenery that I'll never forget as long as I live. Nature in such an abundance as it was back in those days in that everybody's time. But it was experiences like that with my dad that I appreciated so much. When I was about... Uh, when I, the summer I turned 13 years old, uh, he was a contractor in Miami doing plaster and stuff over in these uh, large apartment, multi-story apartment houses. And he had a whole bunch of them and had a bunch of uh, plasters working for him. And he had a bunch of guys that didn't plaster, but they rolled the mud in wheelbars and stuff. Some of them were running mixers and stuff. And he had a guy that was over, that was an overseer when he wasn't on the job. And his name was Ruby, and uh, he, so I said, Dad, I said, Dad, can I work for you this summer? And he said, I think you can. I think you're old enough and big enough. Well, he brought me on, and he said, I'm going to have you work with the laborers, rolling the mud. But I'm going to. But he gave me a, a more shallow wheelbar than, than than they had. They had the deep wheelbar that carried a lot of mud. He gave me one that was a little more shallow than that. And he told Ruby, he said, Watch my son. Don't let nobody switch wheelbars on him. <laughs> you know. Because those guys would try to get the lighter wheel bar they can, you know, and everything like that. So anyhow, Ruby looked after me. And once in a while, I'd come up there, one in big wheel bar, and he said, where's your wheel bar? You know? He said, no, sir. He said, I'm, you, I'm, I got a responsibility to look out and make sure you get that lighter wheel bar. But then, but then I worked all summer long that summer. And when I turned 13 in July, at 13 years old, he gave me a raise in pay. And I worked all that summer. And I, he... He said, now save your money. And I put my money in the bank, 
And did you know when I went off to Bible school, that money was still in the bank. I never had touched it. I left it right there. And uh, my dad gave me money with that money. And that's what I went off to Bible school with, paid my tuition and went to school with when I first went up to Bible school in St. Paul. Anyhow, when I went to St. Paul, 17 years old, I said to my dad, Dad, I said, I have a call in the ministry. I got saved at 16. Five months later, I left home and went off to Bible school. I said, I know this is a time of life that I could be a blessing to you working, you in the construction work and so forth. He said, son, let me tell you something. When you were born, he says, just be by myself. He said, I went off by myself. I got on my knees. Now, my dad never was saved until after I was saved. He wasn't a saved. He wasn't. He smoked cigarettes. He wasn't saved. Didn't drink, but he didn't. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was faithful to my mother and faithful to our family and all that. But he said, "Whenever you were born, I got on my knees and I said, God, you have given me a son. Now I give him back to you in any way that he can ever be of service to you. He is yours, and I dedicated you to the Lord like that. No preacher around, no service. You know, when nobody was around, just." And so when you said to me here a while back that you felt you got a call to the ministry, I understood, and I believed it. And now that you say you want to go off and study and prepare yourself for the ministry, I understand that. So he gave me his, his, you know, his blessing to go. And as you know, I went off and spent four years in Minnesota going through ABI and Apostolic Institute. I tell you all those things because this is Father's Day, and here lately I've been sort of thinking about him and... Uh, I remember uh, my son, myself, my brother, and, uh, and my dad made a trip out west on Amtrak. My dad always wanted to go out west. He always read all of these Lewis Lamar books and all that western stuff. You know, he loved the west, but he always lived in Florida, you know. And uh, so he said, I want to go out west. I said, okay, we arranged this trip, and we all got it together. And we had an Amtrak trip. And we went, got on Kissimmee, my son and I did. And we went, I was still pastoring the church here. And he was, my son had been out evangelizing, and now he was home. We went through Pensacola on Amtrak, picked them up, and headed out west on that Amtrak. And we had a berth we slept in every night. I slept overhead. I mean, I slept underneath. My son slept overhead. And in the other one, my dad slept on the bottom, and my, my brother, my younger brother, slept up. We ate in the dining room every day. We just took it, you know, did everything first class. And they got to know who we were. They said, you're the Myers clan. You know, they were the Myers. All of us were Myers. And uh, we ate breakfast there. We ate lunch there. We ate dinner, whatever we were doing. And went to San Antonio, got off, spent two days there, kicking around with other members of the family that we knew they were out there. Got back on the Amtrak that was coming through. Went to Los Angeles, changed trains. Went on up to Seattle, Washington. Got off, spent two days up there in Seattle, rented a car, drove up into Canada, everything. Came back, got on the train, went to um, through Montana, got off, spent two days in Montana, out on the range and the buffaloes and all that kind of, and the bison as, they, as they, they're supposed to be called. And, and then went on to Chicago, got in Chicago, and from there I caught a plane and flew back home so I could be with the church. But they continued to ride the trail and come on back came back into Florida. My dad would later say it was the greatest experience and trip that he ever had in his life. 
And I just, I've just been thinking about him here lately. And the Bible says, honor your mother and dad that your days may be long on the earth. And you know, I know that everybody hasn't had a good father. I know that. But you know, somehow or another, if we honor our parents regardless, just honor them and thank God for what they did do and whatever they did do, you know. And just always be appreciative of them. God has promised that he'd be good and faithful to us in all things. So today, praise the Lord, I just want to say, I'm just thanking God this is Father's Day. I never have spoken about my father very much. But I thank God for him. Thank God for the life that he lived and the example that he set for me. And the many times when my wife and I would go out evangelizing when we were a young couple, just first married, and I'd run out of money. And I said, Dad, I'm out of money. And he said, well, come on home, and I'll got a job for you. I remember driving one time back through the Everglades, back through the old, that old Toby Trail, on an empty tank of gas. Empty tank of gas. I don't know how I made it. I pulled up in front of my parents' house, shut the engine off. The next day it would not even crank because there's no gas in it. I don't know how. It, I think it was God that was just in it. But my dad had a job waiting for me. He said, I got a job waiting go right to work with us, work and work. I had to work from Paul, save my money, and I said, okay, Dad, I'm going to go back out. He said, all right, my blessings are with you. you know. And one day we left and went up into the Midwest, up in Indiana, the Midwest to preach the gospel up there. And I never went back to, never went back to Miami again, never, never saw Miami. And my family moved eventually from there. They bought a restaurant and so forth. But I'm just saying here that thank God for our parents. And today is Father's Day, and I give honor to my father. And I think it's good that we all appreciate our fathers on Father's Day, our mothers on Mother's Day, and all year long, praise the Lord, think about them, appreciate them, and just say, God, thank you for my parents, praise the Lord. Let's, thank, let's praise God right now, just thank you for our parents. Jesus, thank you for our parents, Lord. Thank you for our mothers and dads. Thank you for those, Lord, who have adopted some, and have raised them, God, like mothers and fathers, even though they were not biological, they were their mothers and fathers. Jesus, we thank you for your blessings and your goodness upon us in all things, for your word says to honor those, God, that have been in that position above us and ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, praise God. Let me uh, pick up where I left off last week last week's lesson. This is why I don't have any handouts for you today, because I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Everybody with me now? We're back in Revelation, and this is the help me. I thought this thing would be in focus here. Where's the focus button? That's what I just pushed. Is it there? It's working for you. You've got a magic touch. You've got a magic touch. Or somebody up there has. I don't know which way it is. God bless you. Can everybody see it? I know it's hard to see, but that's the handout we gave you last week. And what we did, we talked to you about the sixth chapter of Revelation. And we talked to you about the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse. Let me just mention that again to you. If you have your Bibles, you turn, us, turn with us to that 
sixth chapter. We talked about how the, the white horse was a false peace, which is what I've got written here. The uh, second seal that was broken was the red horse, which was a great war. The Bible says a great sword. And the fourth beast was a pale horse. Uh, the black horse, I mean, was the, was the third seal. And it represented famine that came on the earth. I mentioned to you here in the end of verse 6, where it says, hurt not the oil and the wine that represented the rich. The poor are always the ones who are affected first in any kind of disasters. The rich can survive for a while longer. But it eventually comes their way too. But here is the poor in the, in the beginning. And then in verse 7, it talks about the fourth seal that was broken, the pale horse. And in that seventh verse, in the eighth verse, I'm going to read verse 8 to you again. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name is that on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, that's the war, and with hunger, that's the famine, and with death, whatever, however it was, maybe radiation or whatever, and with the beasts of the earth. And so uh, there was one-fourth of the world population was killed. And, I'm, and I know there's 7.5, one says 7.4, one says 7.5. It keeps changing population of the world, billion, 7.5 billion people on the earth today. And I'm just using a round figure. Let's suppose it's eight. You'd have two billion people that would have died by the time you get halfway through chapter six. And this is the, what we call the tribulation period. Whenever God begins to send his judgment, the church will have already been taken out of the earth. And I've talked to you about that in chapters three and four. <clears throat> and uh, now I want to look at verse nine very quickly here. This is the fifth seal. I'm going through this very quickly. And under the soul, and, I, and when it opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, true, dost thou not judge and avenge those on our blood who dwell on the earth? And it said, White robes were given unto them, and they were said that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also that and their brother that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So there's more yet to come that's going to be martyred in the tribulation period. You, of course, ask me, uh, is this, who are these people? These apparently are people who have a knowledge of Christianity to a certain degree. They've tried to do the best they, they knew how to do, live for God, and it was not adequate. Let me just say this. The Bible says, without his spirit, we're none of his. I'm quoting here. From uh, Romans chapter 8, without his spirit, we're none of his. That's in verse 9, I think it is, and then in verse 11. But it says, if that spirit that was in him dwell in us, it shall also quicken our mortal body. We need the Holy Ghost to go in the rapture. We need that. So I'm not going to go any further with that. I just let you know here that this is a very important factor involved. Now, I'm going to move on very quickly here because uh, I just want to point out one other thing here, and that is that this is not the church, but these are tribulation martyrs. And one of the reasons they're not the church, I'm going to have you look at this verse of scripture with us, is that these people are all killed. The church is made up of the dead and the alive in Christ. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. First uh, Thessalonians 4. I'm going 
going to read these verses to you. This is the description of the rapture that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But the church is made up then of the dead and the alive in this is brought out in 1 Thessalonians over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul also mentions it here in this epistle. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we'll not all die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we shall be changed, we being the ones who are alive. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, that's the dead. And this mortal, that's the alive, must put on immortality. And then he goes on to say how that this is a fulfillment of the scriptures of the Old Testament. Now, I won't go any further than it. Only to say here's good, two good solid scriptures here that lets us know here that in the tribulation period, these people are all slain. They're all slain. This is not the church. The church, when they arise, they are the dead and the alive in Christ. So I just want to point that out to you here before we go any further. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 with us. I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, the sixth seal, that's uh, the sixth seal is this one right here. And it's Revelation 6, 12 through 14. Look at this one. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every island were moved out of their places. Now I've read all of that to show you the devastation that comes about here shortly after all of these things begin to happen. A, a, a great war comes on the earth and then a great famine comes on the earth and many people pass away and then there is disaster after disaster after disaster. And you say, well, Brother Myers, this is heavy duty stuff. This is not the only place that's mentioned in the Bible. This is not the only place. Say, oh, that's in the book of Revelation. Revelation, you know, it's got some really heavy-duty stuff in it. No, no, I'm going to have you go to some other places in the Bible. I want you to look with me in Isaiah, for instance. Isaiah chapter, uh, let's say Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12, 6. Let me show you in Isaiah where these same things are mentioned here as coming on the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaiah 12, 6. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as the destruction of the Almighty. Look at verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Look at verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. 
the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world. This is talking about the world now, not, not Israel or nothing. For their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Jumping very quickly to 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall be removed out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as a chaste roe and as a sheep that no man taketh up. They shall every man turn to his own people, and flee every one into his own land. I'm just telling you here, here is a place in Isaiah where they describe this very same kind of condition and everything. I'm looking over here further over into Isaiah 24. This is just in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 24, 1. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Verse 3. This is 24, 3 of Isaiah. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languishes and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. Verse 5, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. I can talk to you about that. That's found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 16. I won't get into that. That's the covenant God made with Noah and his three sons and their wives when they first came out of the ark. And they were the foundation of all the earth. So he made this with all mankind before, uh, before Abraham's time and everything, before the Jews. Uh, he made this everlasting covenant. Verse 6, I'm going to finish reading here in Isaiah 24, 6. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore... The inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. And I'm just reading all these things to show you here uh, how terrible all these things come. Looking over in that same 24th chapter of Matthew of, of Isaiah, look at verse 17. Fear the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall come to pass that who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. He that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare, for the windows from on high are opened, and the foundations of the earth do shake. Verse 19. This is uh, 24:19 of, of Isaiah. Verse 19. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. Verse 20. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, shall be removed like a cottage or like a shack, or like a hut. Hut is another word for it. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. So what I'm doing here is just pointing out verses of Scripture to you here concerning uh, the conditions that the Bible describes in Revelation chapter uh, 6 over here in 12 down through 14 of all the disasters that are coming on the earth. Now you say stars falling on the earth. Well, Brother Myers, stars. This is a meteorite barrage. There will come a time whenever the meteorites, gathering great numbers, will come into the Earth's atmosphere, and they will come down through the Earth's atmosphere, and they'll bombard the Earth. I'm telling you, folks, that all these things are going to come on the Earth. The Lord spoke about it in Isaiah. 
is spoken of here in, in Revelation. It's spoken of in other places as well. I haven't gone to all of them because I don't have the time to get into all of that. But I'm just pointing out to you here that these things will come to pass on the face of the earth. Now, what does that mean to us, Brother Myers? That means if you're not saved, get saved. And if I have to get saved, what do I have to do? Repent of your sins. Say, God, forgive me of all of my sins I've ever committed. And he's just to forgive us. He's just to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions. And be baptized in his name. Praise the Lord. Washing away your sins. It's not the water that washes away. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's applied to our lives when we're baptized in his name. In his name. Praise the Lord. And, of course, there's multiple scriptures. Acts, Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.48, Acts 19.5, all talk about baptism in Jesus' name. You say, what about Matthew 28.19, where Peter's, uh, Jesus said, go into all the world baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is Jesus. That's why they baptized. The apostles knew what he meant when he said that. That's why they baptized in Jesus' name. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're all the same because the Father, and the Holy Ghost is the same. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father, you know. And, and he said, you know, he told, he told Philip that, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you've known the Father. I am the Father. The Father dwelleth in me, and I in him. I in him because he's spirit. It's like God's everywhere. There's no place God is not. It's like a light bulb up here. And that light bulb gives out light. You can touch the bulb, you can feel the bulb, and the light's coming out of the bulb, but the light is everywhere. So the light is in the bulb, but the bulb, the light coming out of the bulb is in the room, so the light, the bulb is in the light. You got it? You understand? The bulb is in the light. So the, he said, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. Just as I'm in the Father, and I'm in the Father in me, I shall be in you, you in me. Praise the Lord. We are in him in baptism in Jesus' name. We're baptized in his name. We belong to him. He is in us when he puts his spirit in us. Praise the Lord. And one of these days he's coming back for his church. And the greatest thing that we can do in our walk with God, folks, is to create a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me just say that to each and every one of you. I'm speaking to every individual here this morning. Have a relationship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's what the ministry is all about, preaching and teaching the word of God to us, is to help us to be able to have that relationship with Jesus. So that we are with him, we know him, he knows us. He said, you know, he said to, uh, said to Peter, said, whom do men say that I am? I'm to, to the apostle, who They said, some say you're this, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, one of the prophets. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. And he said, you know, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, Simon, Peter. He said, but my father, which is in heaven, my father has revealed it. In heaven is everywhere with God you know that every up there down here the atmosphere my father has revealed that to you praise the Lord that's not he said and I say unto thee thou art Peter I say unto thee thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church you say to me you are Christ I know who you are I say to you I know who you are you're Peter this relationship upon this rock of relationship it's more than just Jesus Christ being the solid rock it's the relationship they had with each. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I guarantee you folks that if we have a relationship with Jesus and we know the Lord, and the Lord is with us, and we know he's our friend, 
He said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Because a master does not always reveal to his servants what he is about to do. But a friend will reveal to his friends what he's about to do. And so we are his friends. That's why he lets us know what's coming to pass. That's why we can look in the word. And he lets us know what's coming to pass. We have a message in tongues interpretation here a couple of weeks ago. Praise the Lord. In which the message said, I am coming back from my church. I'm coming very soon. That's the Lord speaking to us because we have a relationship with him. And I just want to say here today, this is not a time to play around with God. Not a time. There's too many things going on in the world. Amen. One day I may talk to you about America. America's in trouble. America's in trouble. I think it was this, was it this week or last week they were trying to make an all, an all homosexual week out of it or something like that. They were advertising it, you know, having all the homosexual, promoting homosexuality. You know, and I can show you in the Bible where God condemns it. Big time condemns it. And he's against those kind of things. And so you and I, praise the Lord, have to say, God, we're going to be faithful to you. And we're going to walk with you. And we're going to serve you, Jesus. And one day we'll hear the trumpet sound. Praise the Lord. Then in Christ shall rise. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. And so how is that going to be? It doesn't matter how it's going to be. How did Jesus go up? He went up. They saw him go up. The angels told him he's going up. He's going to come back the way he went up. He went up, he'll come back. Somebody come walking down the street with bathrobe on and flip-flops and says, I'm Jesus. Forget it. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, you don't go out in the desert to see him. Don't go in the sound to see him. You're walking down the road, forget it. Because when he comes, he's going to come like this. You know, he's going to come the way he went away. Praise God. I had that happen to me one time. You know, guys, guy walked up with flip-flops and bathrobe. He said he was Elijah. Elijah, yeah. I said, yeah, right. I'm doubting Thomas, too. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Elijah. I'm doubting Thomas. I'm just saying here today, folks, that you and I, praise the Lord, have the greatest thing on the face of the earth, and don't let it slip through our hands. Praise God. You say, well, if I miss the rapture, uh, I'll just lay down my life in the, in, the, in the tribulation period. No, you won't. And I quoted that scripture last week. It's over in, over in Jeremiah. If we cannot... Cross the Jordan River when it is even tied out. Can we cross it when it's swollen? And we cannot run with the footman. How can you run with the horses? If you can't live for God now when everything is in your favor and everything is, 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 is all for you, you're not going to do it when everything is against Christianity. And there is probably going to come a, an anti-Christian, anti-Christian attitude in the world. It will be, I know, after the rapture takes place for sure. All of these things are coming to pass. And I've got just a few more minutes here. Let me show you this one in the 15th verse. Uh, I'm going to read this. 15th verse here of, of chapter 6. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, the chief captains. Notice who this crowd is. This is the rich people. This is the oil and the wine that was not touched. The kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondsman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand and, of course, the Bible says God has not appointed us, the church, that is, to, the, to, to wrath. So we know that the church has already been taken out by this time. 
But these people are saying, fall on us. And one other scripture here, and I know my time is gone, is over here in Isaiah again about the rich men hiding themselves. And I'm reading here in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man, man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed low down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. That's the day of judgment. Going to verse 19 and reading through verse 21. This is that second chapter of Isaiah verse 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. And in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his gold, idols of gold which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats to go into the clefts of the rocks and in the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of the majesty when the he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. And so God, praise the Lord, is going to send a great judgment upon the earth and a great and terrible things. Now, next week, I'm going to go into chapter 7. And I want you to, if you just be with us, bring your Bibles. And I'm going to go into chapter 7 here. We're going to talk about the sealing of the 144,000. Who are they? Okay. And this is the, the Jehovah Witnesses claim this is them. This is them. I'm going to show you it's not them. I'm going to show you in the Bible who it is without question, without question. It's in the book. It's in the book. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that you know the truth? Aren't you glad for the truth? The Bible says know the truth. It shall set you free. Let's stand together and give God the praise. You're a wonderful audience and a wonderful group of people. God will love you. Thank God for the church. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your greatness, your mercy, your goodness and kindness to us.